When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plant, it's time to hempresent. Our radio resident hempo sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to hempresent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. My friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is Hemp Present. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hemppresent at gmail.com. I greatly enjoy hearing from you, the listener. Today's guest on Hemp Present is Malcolm McKinnon. Malcolm is a veteran photojournalist and widely considered to be one of the foremost cannabis photographers in the world. His work has been published in over 200 publications worldwide, and he has interviewed and photographed a wide range of celebrities. As the former editor-in-chief of High Times Magazine, he worked under the pen name of Dan Skye. Malcolm also served as executive editor of Hemp Times, a sister publication. During his 25-year career with High Times, he shot over 50 covers and centerfolds and traveled over a million miles on assignments, becoming the most published writer and photographer in the magazine's history. For over 30 years, Malcolm has also covered Native American issues, amassing a huge archive of imagery, and he's here to tell us more about it. Welcome, Malcolm, to Cannabis Radio. Oh, thank you so much for Vivian having me. Pleased to be here. My pleasure, old friend. Um, <laughs> I have so many questions about your amazing experiences, uh, you know, all those years uh, that you were the photographer, uh, the, the photojournalist, the lead photographer for High Times. But first, let me just ask you, how did you become involved in photography to begin with? You know, really, I'll tell you, it's like my third career. I started off, you know, when I, I came to New York in 1976 to be an actor. And then I went into the fitness industry. And uh, my, my wife had given me a little snapshot camera. And I got very, very good with a little snapshot camera. And one Christmas, 1983, she gave me a Canon AE-1. And I worked like hell just taking taking photos. But I didn't work for, for high times until 1990. And uh, that was because of Peter Gorman, um, who was going on an assignment out in Oklahoma to do a, a story on Quanta Parker, the great Comanche chief. And uh, he recommended me to Stephen Hager, who was the editor-in-chief at that time. And the rest is history. That was my first assignment, and that was 30 years ago. Good Lord. <laughs> It's funny you mentioned Peter that way because I met Peter Gorman when he was on assignment at the Oregon Country Fair, and uh, I, yes, and I was leading the Dragon Parade, 
uh, around, oh, no. the, around the same time. And he comes up and he's like, hey, I'm a photographer with High Times. You know, I'd like to take some pictures of you guys. Uh, and I'm like, oh, High Times. I'm with Seattle Hemp Fest, you know, and, and <laughs> we struck up a, a conversation. Um, uh, so I really identify with, with the, the fact that, you know, he was going out doing that stuff. So, so being the chief photographic journalist for High Times magazine uh, right. from, you know, for what, 1990 to 2017, I think, something like that. Right, exactly. It just seems like one of the coolest jobs in the known universe. <laughs> I'm just curious how you managed to score that position. Well, like I said, you know, Peter uh, recommended me for that job. Peter and I uh, worked together in the 70s. I was a waiter and he was a cook at one of the restaurants in the Upper East Side of New York City. And we became good friends. Um, and I, as I, you know, became better and better as a photographer, uh, he recommended me. You know, the fact is, Vivian, you know, nobody gets anywhere. Nobody's a self-made person. You know, you need help to get where you go. And Peter Gorman was uh, uh, instrumental. So was Steve Hager. Um, he was, uh, you know, he, and he encouraged me and, and, and gave me assignments and, you know, I tried to rise to the occasion, you know, every time I tried to really, really score. And of course, Frank Max, who was the art director who remains the art director at high times made all of my photos look so wonderful. So, you know, I, I, I owe it to, I owe my success to so many people who helped me along the way and who recommended me for things. Um, you know, it, it is, I, I, I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, um, you know, 19, 1991, when I did my first full feature for High Times, you know, it was you know, smoking marijuana and growing marijuana was, it was extremely dangerous. So I was happened to be at the right place at the right time. Obviously, there were people who preceded me in the cannabis industry, people like, you know, Jack Hare, of course, and Steve D'Angelo, Debbie Goldsberry, all these wonderful people who, who were doing stuff in the 80s. Um, but, uh, you know, I came along and I photographed Jack Hare. I met Dennis Perone. I was at the San Francisco Buyers Club. Uh, I was part of the Navajo Hemp Project, the Lakota Hemp Project. So in this time frame, I happened to be kind of like the Forrest Gump of, of cannabis. I happened to be at the right place the right all the time. So I was very, very fortunate. I consider that period to be the golden years of high times, personally. It, it sure was. It really was. I mean, because... You know, we were an adversarial magazine. We were taking on the government, and we were doing things that nobody else dared to do, saying things that nobody else dared to say. And uh, you know, that was it was a it was a scary time a lot of times because the government came after us. The government came after High Times through the Green Merchant uh, 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 investigation, where they went after people's UPS records uh, to see if they had bought hydroponic equipment. That would happen in the early '90s, and then later they tried to take High Times down through the glass industry, tried to destroy all our advertising by launching Operation uh, Headhunter and uh, Pipe Dreams in order to take down all the glass blowers. And they, but high time survived. Then you know we were all part of that. So over the twenty-five years, you know, working at high times was you know sometimes harrowing, a lot of fun, you know. But you know it's you know but like like the office on TV, it's still an office. You know, a lot a lot of crazy shit goes on on in an office. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, I'm 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 proud to say that I've actually took a toke on the balcony outside the high times oh, office in New there. York one time. <laughs> um, uh, so. So what was the process by which you received your assignment? You said that that uh, that Steve. Uh, yeah, your... yeah. Hey, you know, the thing is, you know, when I started out, you know, I was doing, you know, very, very few assignments. But, you know, you prove yourself as you go along. And, uh, you know, he assigned me to go photograph Jack Hare for the first cover. Um, and that was January of 1995. And I flew out to L.A. 
you know, um, I had met Jack uh, just only a couple months earlier in 1994 at the first Hemp Industries Association convention. I'd only met him a couple months earlier, went out and stayed at his house for a few days, photographed him in every kind of situation. And that kind of launched me because I, I wrote an article about the, you know, the hemp industry at that point, And it just, uh, for some reason, it just uh, you know, accord with everybody. And at that point, after you know, a lot of bad sales over the years, this was the highest selling issue of, of high times for years with Jack Herrer on the cover. And that was the April 1995 cover. So he, you know, Hager gave me that uh, assignment. And from there, I kind of kind of launched a career um, that I became the executive editor of Hemp Times uh, simultaneously. So I was working with Hemp Times and High Times simultaneously, um, which was, you know, really just a, you know, a, a great experience for me. And, you know, just, you know, it, it, it de developed. It, I was able to develop myself as a photographer and as a writer. Uh, I was able to, you know, get my work published in a you know, just um, amazingly prolific way. Um, so it was, you know, I was you know, like I. It was a golden age, as you say, for for me, especially at high times and hem times. So would they just say like, "Hey, Malcolm, uh, we want you to go to Nepal and uh, hook up <laughs> this guy and take pictures of these Na Nepalese hash balls or something, right?" And you would get on a donkey or something. I mean, I mean, how did that, never, that, how did that work? Never, never I made all that up, that, of course. Of course. Never quite that got, got that, that exotic, but I, I, you know, I was able to go, you know, I, I was able to go to Jamaica and Orange Hill and see, you know, the biggest plantations of marijuana I've ever, you know, that you can possibly see where you look up the side of a mountain and it's all cannabis, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And of course, Trinity County is the wild, wild west of cannabis, or it was back when I was shooting it back in the uh, early 2000s and the late 90s. Um, you know, that place is, uh, you know, I mean, when you see these uh, massive gardens of marijuana up there in, in Trinity County, I, I find that, you know, is, is as exotic as Jamaica when you get down to it. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, I was able to, you know, one of the more exotic places I was, I, I saw a, a huge outdoor field in Southern Holland. Now, Southern, you know, Holland has a very, very high latitude. Seeing an outdoor crop of the, you know, that size was absolutely amazing. That was back in the, the mid nineties as well. So, you know, I was able to get, get around and, you know, look, I was able to, if, if people had great stuff to shoot, I pitched it and got permission to go shoot it. And, I, you know, I was on the road so much of the time, and I have to thank my lovely wife Susan, who, you know, who you know raised two kids while I was away, and, and uh, you know did so much of the work of you know running a household while I was doing things. So, you know, gotta say that. Yeah, when, when I was playing in bands, we called that a rock and roll widow, right? Because <laughs> you'd be on the road <laughs> touring, yeah, really. you know, and and that was a real a form of support. So during your time at High Times, you went by the pseudonym of Dan Sky. Um, I'm just, just curious. I think I, I, you know, I think we kind of established what you were concerned about um, in those days. Why did you want well, to associate you know, I, your real the, name? But where did Dan Sky come from? Well, the funny thing is, you know, I, you know, the, 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 the people who ran the magazine or the owners, they wanted me to separate myself from Hemp Times, you know, just have a different name for Hemp Times than I had from High Times. And one day the art director came into my office. And I had been doing a few New Age stories, and one of these New Age people out in Sedona, Arizona, had given me a CD that was called Sky Dance. And so the art director came into my office and just started making fun of me because he was a real rock and roller. And you know, so he said, oh, "Sky Dance." He started calling me Sky Dance. So I reversed Sky Dance into Dan Sky, and that's <laughs> how. It 
And that's how, <laughs> re- that's how it really came about. But the, the but the CD was by Ani Williams, who is a you know one of these new age artists. And and the fact is, Ani is a is a is a great great uh, music uh, creator. So uh, you know <laughs> that's great great music actually to work to. You know. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, I, I like to put on that that kind of new age stuff uh, in the background because there's nothing distracting about it. And it exactly, great, great I do it too, Vivian. Yeah, I do yeah. it. I do it too. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so you traveled all over the world, you know, in various places, uh, photographing cannabis and cultures and places associated with cannabis. What, what are a few more interesting or remote places that you uh, you got to go to? Well, you know, I. <laughs> I, 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 I traveled, you know, a, a lot, you know, there were a lot, I, you know, going to Germany, for example, was, you know, just a wonderful experience because I got to go, go see where, you know, at, at that point in time, Ruhr glass pipes were the, the premier glass pipes of, you know, in the industry. So I got to go to, to um, you know, Frankenthal, Germany to, to see their, uh, their, their plant and all the, all the uh, glass blowers were turning out this wonderful glass. So, you know, things like that are, are just wonderful. Um, also, you know, I, Ben Dronkers invited me to come see his hemp fields in Northern Holland. So you get to, you know, see things that, you know, this was back in 1996, you know, we, we didn't even dream of seeing this kind of stuff in the United States. And then you go to a hemp field out in the middle of um, nowhere and you see hemp that's going on for acres so it was really, uh, you know, it, it was eye-opening in, in, in many ways seeing this, you know, and also in Canada. I remember going into Canada to, to, to photograph those big hemp fields when hemp uh, became legal. And I remember coming into the, going across customs, I said, they asked, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going up to see a farmer. What kind of farmer? Well, he's a friend of mine. I said, well, what does he grow? And I said, I finally said hemp. And he goes, and the customs agent said to me, you know, hemp is legal, so you don't have to hide it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know so it, it was really eye opening for me what was exotic was all these places that had really embraced cannabis in so many ways and here the united states was light years behind and we still are i mean for god's sake how can half the country still have you know be, how can you still be busted for cannabis it's it's unreal upside absolutely. down world a- yeah. a- absolutely man i totally i totally relate I am speaking to Malcolm McKinnon, and we're going to have to roach this segment, pay the rent for a few minutes, uh, but come right back because we are going to really dive in in the second segment, so don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present with veteran photojournalist Malcolm McKinnon. So, Malcolm, I just have to ask you, you are globetrotting, taking pictures of some of the most amazing weed and even other substances. Uh, did, did you sample the wares while you're out and about? Always, always, always. <laughs> well, how can you but, write you know, an but, article, right, if you don't know what you're talking about? 
know. Yeah, the only the only time I did it is when you know sometimes you you would you would you would rent uh, marijuana for photo shoots, and the growers were very very specific. You know, like they said, you know, if you whatever is not there when you return it, you're going to pay for. It. So you maybe would smoke a joint. You know, <laughs> that's about it. That's the only time. But otherwise, people were very very generous with 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 their cannabis. Um, you know, uh, you know, traveling was never really a problem. I was more worried about traveling in the United States than I was going to Canada or, or Amsterdam or somewhere like that. And, you know, and also, I, I never traveled with marijuana going over international lines, but I did travel with a great deal of marijuana. Um, you know, people people were very generous to a high times photographer, and believe me, I you know I had some close calls. I have to say, one time somebody in Trinity County gave me a half a pound of pot. And I said, I'm taking it home. And a Delta uh, person came up to me and said, they said, that's a very interesting cologne you're, you're wearing. And I had the wherewithal to say, I don't know what you're talking about. And I got very, very kind of like stiff with her. And she she backed off right away. But that was very, very close. And another time I, in, in, in your wonderful town of Seattle, I came through customs like an idiot. And I forgot I had a glass pipe in my pocket. And the, the the guy who was an old guy at the uh, you know at the uh, security, he said, "What's in your pocket?" So I pulled it out, and he just looked at me and said, "Put that back in your pocket." He said, "You know, you have two kids. You know, don't be an idiot." <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, Seattle. You know, seriously. So that was the you know I was very 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 careful. You know, um, you know, but you know, if somebody gives you half a pound. You know, seriously. <laughs> I'm taking yes. it. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm hip. I'm hip. Even today, right? Even today. You know, it's it's funny. You you, I the first time I went to the Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam uh, in '95, it was, it was like you mentioned. You know, I'm just like, oh my God, look at all this yeah. weed and look at these oh, my plants. And it was like, it was like amazing. You know, I had never seen anything like that up close before. And then of course, these days I'm just kind of bored with. That. <laughs> I'm bored with huge grows. It's I like, know, man, I know. But back so when the cannabis plants. Right, but back when the cannabis it was going on, I mean, it it really opened Americans' eyes. I said, "We want this in America," you know, and so the cannabis company Steve Hager founded, you know, really opened Americans' eyes in a great in a great deal of ways. It's it's still going, but it's not the same as it was because it really back then in the '90s it really was something else in Amsterdam. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, walking into a coffee shop and saying, "Oh my God, there's a smorgasbord of weed." They've got a menu <laughs> for weed at the counter. Oh. And you Sitting can in the basically in, right. get anything you want, and it was the novelty was so profound in those days. I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, I, know this? I remember sitting in the window of the greenhouse. You know, sitting there smoking a joint. As you know, watching traffic go by, I said, "This is the best." You know, I'm drinking coffee and having a joint. This is fantastic. You know, and I remember saying I was on CNN. I remember a few years back, and I said, "You know, what really needs to happen in New York is that we need coffee houses, just like Amsterdam." And they looked at me like I was an alien from outer space. But, you know, I said, hey, folks, it's coming. It's going to be coming and it's going to change things. And that's what, we, you know, every city needs, for God's sake. You know, have coffee shops with, with the pot. What possible harm could it do to the social fabric of the United States? <laughs> I, I, and, and yes, and the thing about the coffee shops is you could buy weed and roll it up on the, on the table and smoke it right there. And that's where we are way behind here in America. Oh, my goodness. Nothing it's, even it's, remotely like that in the most, you know, permissive of, of, of states. I know it's the truth, and, and and it could transform you know the city economies. It, it makes cities attractive to people, to tourists. You know, sit down in a coffee shop in New York City, have a joint, then go on your way. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, if you can sit down in a bar and drink alcohol, right? Yeah. Then why in the hell you know can't you light up a J 
um, and you know, okay, there's an issue with uh, you can't be around smoke or whatever, then put it on the roof, right? Or have but it would patio. also it would also revive in the art scene of poetry, you know, folk music, you know, just new kinds of arts. You know, it, it, it could really revive the entire coffee shop scene that we saw with the beatniks in the '60s, uh, late '50s. You know, I Absolutely. think that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll take uh, I'll take a, a joint of White Widow and an espresso. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, in fact, make it make it an a marijuana with cream. <laughs> you bet. That's it. I want it. I want it. So, uh, you know, at, at Thanksgiving with the, the family, you know, did you ever say, so, Malcolm, how is work going? How was how are those discussions? Well, my my dad was always kind of he'd always look at me and say, Mal, Malcolm, yeah smoking a lot of marijuana these days and i'd always say <laughs> how much is a lot you know <laughs> but he was always you know he always was hoping i'd maybe i'd get a different job but uh you know in the end he put up with it you, you know he Do you have you like know, he, younger he, relatives have been oh my god you know i was i was a rock star i was a rock star believe me i can imagine you know, you know my, my all of my daughter's friends would say you know when when they would meet her they tell her 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 dad is the, is, is the editor of High Times. They would tell her that right <laughs> off the bat. You know? <laughs> That's what um, he had to deal with. How about celebrities? Uh, did, did you also interact with take pictures and interview celebrities? And oh, stuff like that? So, Rock stars and, and so 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 many. I mean, I mean, I really, really was fortunate. I mean, I, you know, Roger Daltrey got to sit down with and Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, um, you know, uh, Louis Black, uh, Jesse Ventura when he was running for governor. And then I interviewed him again like 17 years later. Um, so many people, you know, I was lucky enough. And Woody Harrelson, I got to travel with, of course, and when he planted, this is 25 years ago, uh, in June 1st, when he planted four Kentucky. hemp seeds in, in Beattyville, Kentucky. This is 25 years ago. So I was there to watch this happen. And then he got, he orchestrated his own arrest. So, um, with, with yeah, Gatewood, I mean, it's... Gatewood Galbraith, right? Oh, Gatewood, Gatewood was the best. And he died, you know, he, he got pneumonia and he died, you know, very, very quickly. It was really, really sad. But he was... God, he was a force, and I got to ride on his. Uh, I remember when he was running for governor. I got to ride on his campaign bus, and we're smoking a joint on his campaign bus. I said, "Man, this is this is something else." So I remember we we stopped at a diner, and I said, "Let me pay for this." He goes, "Uh, is this your money or is this High Times money?" He goes, "It was High Times money." He goes, "Nope, I'm paying for it." You know, very honest <laughs> no, guy. He was very, he was a, a really a courageous, outspoken, great leader, a great actress and, and advocate. Yeah, a great mind. I mean, that was a thing. He had a great mind, how he viewed liberties in America, you know, was something re refreshing. You know, you forget about these, our, our basic understanding of what liberties are. Yeah. Yep. We know Woody Harrelson came to Seattle Hemp Fest, which I've been the director of for 30 years. And uh, he came twice. And I just found Woody to be in tremendously down home, easily approachable, just, a, just an awesome person. You know, it was, kind of the opposite of the rock star uh celebrity persona that some people come with Did yeah you, you know, I, be the same way? yeah I, I you know i traveled with woody quite a bit from you know because he uh that the litigation of his case took four years so i got to know him quite a bit and i watched him you know deal with people and he was always polite he had that kind of southern politeness he was always polite to people um sometimes he would get a little bit tense and he'd have a little bit you know because there, there was a point in 96 97 where he was donating a tremendous amount of money to the hemp movement and to the environmental movement and people heard about this and so every time people saw him they were hitting him up for money so he could sometimes just like okay that's you know that's enough i'm i'm done and you know he just cut people off 
but he was extremely generous. Um, I don't know how active he is anymore. Um, I, I'm sure he is extremely um, philanthropic. Um, still, he you know he makes a tremendous amount of money, and I'm sure he's giving his money to environmental causes. But he's taken kind of like a backseat to that kind of environmental celebrity that he had in the '90s and in the early 2000s, because he was the first celebrity, big time A-list celebrity, to come out and really stand up for for marijuana and for hemp. I mean, he was something else. Um, you know, people made fun of him at that time, and he put his career in danger. Thankfully, his career is flourishing uh, still. But you know, he really he put his, his he put his celebrity on the line. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we have about a minute uh, till the next break, but I won't ask you mm -hmm. to name any names. But did you mm -hmm. interact? Unless you want to, but did you interact with any celebrities who were kind of assholes? You know, kind of kind of you know stuck up and and hard hard to get along with. Um, you know, it, it, I anybody who you, I was always amazed at how 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 nice people were. The only people who really you know, you gave me a little bit of a hard time was uh, when I was photographing Jason Muse once when we put him on the cover. You know, I had to shoot them separately because the art director put Jason on the on the shoulder of uh, Kevin Smith, and so I was shooting him, and he was just being he was just being uncooperative, and I kind of snapped at him. I said, "Dude, you know, I'm trying to do this for the cover, okay?" And he 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 kind of straightened up. And, you know, Richard Belzer didn't really want to, you know, when I shot him for Hemp Times, he didn't really want to do any, he wanted to said, no, I'm staying in my apartment. I had a whole thing set up for him to do where I wanted to shoot him. No, no, I'm staying right here in the living room. Sorry. So, you know, <laughs> you really can't do anything. But, you know, generally, I'll tell you, Vivian, I mean, people are were, have been extremely nice. And, you know, sometimes you're just amazed. You're like Brian Cranston, uh, what, a, what a nice guy, just a wonderful guy. And Louis Black. You know, just just you know, just wonderful and friendly. Got to hang out with him afterwards. Roger Daltrey, you know, I had a you know, I had a, just drank a bottle of wine with him, and they're just you know, they're, you know, I hate to sound like a cliche, but they're no different than us, these guys, you know. Well, maybe I'm being <laughs> presumptuous, but I just find yeah. that to be the case in the cannabis community in general that that people tend to be pretty. Oh, I, I think and, and I think so too. It's, it's called marijuana consciousness, and I think we're all aware of that. You know, you're, you smoke a joint together, you know, everybody gets down to a level where you can interact without, you know, pretense. That's, yep, what, yep. that's the way, way I look at it. Well, I, um, I'm still talking to Malcolm McKinnon, everybody, and we're going to come right back after this next break for our final question. So don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back with Malcolm McKinnon, veteran high times photojournalist um malcolm i understand that you also 
do indigenous First Nations photography. Uh, I, I would like you to touch on that and also let us know how people can, can check your work and contact you and all that other kind of stuff. Oh, thanks, Vivian. Um, yeah, I mean, this is something that I've been involved in since uh, 1990, actually. Um, I was very, very fortunate to be invited to a Native American church ceremony, uh, which is the peyote ceremony. And for, uh, for me, it was something that was really transformational. And um, I, I don't want to get woo-woo about it, but it certainly put me, seemed to put me on a path where I've been, you know, doing um, Native American photography now for 30 years. And I've been, you know, I photographed and interviewed some of the great, great um, uh, figures of the Native American movement from Russell Means, um, uh, Clyde Bellacourt, um, uh, John Trudell, um, Dennis Banks, all of these people, you know, I've been, got to meet. Um, and I, of course, Leonard Peltier, who's been in jail for 45 years, a victim, a real political prisoner here in America. Um, people w- should, Winona LaDuke, right? Yeah, Winona LaDuke as well. Yes, I interviewed her and you know, she's a friend of mine as well. I mean, I've, I worked with her in a, in a couple of other things. So yeah, so you know, very, very, very fortunate. something that I've just been involved in. I was part of the Navajo project when the Navajo nation tried to, to grow hemp back in 1996, 97, and of course the Lakota hemp project. And now uh, 20 years later, after we first did that, we first, uh, you know, they first tried to grow hemp and they, the, the feds came in and, and shut them down. Now the Lakota are growing hemp legally on the Pine Ridge reservation. So, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a real journey for me. It's something that I still continue. Um, if people want to check out my photo, f- photography, uh, they can go to MalcolmMcKinnon.com or they can go to NativeAmericanPhotography.com. You could, you'll end up in the same place. But I also encourage people to, you know, to, to say something about Leonard Peltier. Uh, you can go to WhoIsLeonardPeltier.info and find out all about his case. Or just you know, go online and check out the movie Incident at Oglala which will tell you the whole story. This is one of the worst miscarriages of justice in, in United States history. And the fact that this man is in jail is just a, a tragedy. So, um, you know, these, these, these are issues for me that I continue to try to try to use whatever voice I have to, um, you know, make sure people know about. Um, so, but thank you, Vivian, for, 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 for noting that, uh, the Native American photography, um, because it's well, part it's of what just... I've more, what I've been doing. It's so important that we support First Nations, Indigenous uh, people and communities in this country. I mean, it's so vital. This is their land that we're on. Of course it is. uh, And, and, you know, they are just oppressed and our government is, has broken almost every treaty that it made. um, And they're still not, still not treated right. You know, as we've seen with pipelines going through their their land. Oh my goodness for to you know to preserve their their water purity and stuff i mean it's just it's just outrageous it's wrong yeah absolutely and this has been going on for for years and years and you see the dakota pipeline for example all of these non-violent protesters were just ganged up on by military forces i mean they had water hoses turned on on them in the middle of winter they were absolutely shut down and then you have this insurrection at the capitol and what happens? Nothing. And, and the this. American media just pretty much ignores indigenous issues, right? Yeah, I mean, they do. Well, I remember Russell Means told me that. He's, he, I asked him, "How do you think people are perceived?" He goes, "We're not perceived. We're invisible." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and we should probably call out John Trudell, who is a a great uh, cannabis. Uh, activist as well, and a Native American activist who, who we lost not too long ago. Not too long ago, and he uh, attended the Cannabis Cup twice and performed at the Cannabis Cup. I was lucky enough to photograph and talk to him and uh, interview him a few times. Um, he's really just a tremendous guy, and you know he was a very serious guy, but had a tremendous sense of humor as well. He was a my, you know, my DNA about needs this. THC. I love that grass fire <laughs> song right. that he did. Right. <laughs> 
that well, was right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Malcolm McKinnon found at NativeAmericanPhotography.com. Thank you for your significant contribution to the cannabis community. And thank you so much for being on Hemp Present, my friend. Oh, my, my pleasure, Vivian. Thank you. All right. You take care. That concludes right. this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you got the right not to reign. Silent activism requires a voice to so find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Now it's time to turn up the music maestro and take back the plant because I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.